Welcome back to The Filibuster, the DC Democratic Party's podcast, where we talk to local and national Democratic leaders about why they are Democrats and what issues are important to them. My name is Charles Wilson, and I'm the chair of the DC Democratic Party. We're excited that today's special guest is the mayor of St. Louis, Missouri, Mr. Shara Jones. Mayor Jones, how are you today? Wonderful. We start our podcast off the same way and we ask our guests a very simple question. Why are you a Democrat? Why am I a Democrat? That's a great question. Uh, So I'm not going to say the standard answer of my father was a Democrat, but he was. Um, But I would say when I look at all of the things that the Democratic Party represents, um, it lines up with my values. Um, Number one being uh, a woman's right to choose uh, her own destiny and and, uh, protection of her reproductive rights. Um, Also, uh, the Democratic Party, in my opinion, wants uh, to create policies where that lift all votes in the tide, that create opportunity for everyone. Um, we believe in uh, equity and equality and, 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 and applying, uh, making sure that uh, the Constitution that uh, governs this land is applied to everyone equally. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, I would say the Democratic Party is one of the most diverse parties uh, in the country. Uh, we are the big tent and we accept everybody, um, regardless of your skin color, who you love, how you worship, and what, what zip code you live in. Um, and I would say right now, it's a good time to be a Democrat. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you a part of the party. Um, so we understand you, you've made some history out there in St. Louis. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, just a little bit. I'm the 47th mayor of the city of St. Louis, but also the first African-American female uh, to be mayor of the city of St. Louis. And it is a title that I wear proudly and humbly at the same time. Awesome. So can you can you talk a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are? Well, uh, a secret for your listeners is that I never wanted to be a politician. Um, my father was one and uh, his career didn't end in the greatest way. So it was something that I kind of shied away from for most of my adult life. Um, but my mama, God rest her soul, all we always used to say that the quickest way to make God laugh is to tell him what you would never do. <laughs> and I had expressed to the universe that I would never go into politics. And God said, ha ha ha, I got a plan for you. <laughs> um, so I became a Democratic committee woman in 2002 um, and then ran for my first paid office um, in 2008, after the birth of my son, um, and I almost thought I wouldn't run because I got pregnant like right before, maybe a year before filing, and thought that politics wasn't my, wasn't you know wasn't my my calling. But uh, I just felt like God just kept telling me um, that uh, it was my calling not only to be a public servant but to be a single mom and do it. Mm. Uh, so um, I have. Uh, been an elected office or paid elected office as a single mom since 2008 um, as a state representative for two terms. I became Missouri's first African-American and first female assistant minority floor leader while I was in the House, um, then ran for treasurer of the city of St. Louis and became the first Black female as treasurer of the city of St. Louis and now the city's first Black mayor. Well, congratulations. Um, so I, we, we know that you have your plate full. Um, 
and you're still in your first year. Is there anything exciting that you're working on that our listeners should know about? Well, actually, I'm in my first uh, 100 days. This is 72 days, day number 72, as I am speaking to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but who's counting? Uh, and I promise I will stop counting at day 100. <laughs> um, but I'm excited about a few things. Uh, on, the, on my second day in office, um, I introduced a budget where I was able to uh, zero out funding for um, one of our jails, which was a horrible place and was inhabitable. We call it the workhouse. And I ran on a promise of closing the workhouse. And as of June 17th, the workhouse is now empty. There are no detainees in our workhouse. And so now we are a one jail city. Um, and uh, we are working with our court systems and our criminal justice ecosystem to push people through the system, see which ones can be uh, bonded out and uh, come back for their court date. And then also working on uh, anti-crime initiatives to prevent people from going in in the first place. Um, also, I, um, in this budget year, I took four, $4 million from uh, vacant positions in our police department and funded victim support services, uh, also funded, um, uh, added more money to our citizen oversight board so they can investigate um, more uh, corrections complaints as well as citizen complaints. Uh, my first executive order was to make sure that all complaints filed with the police uh, make it to the citizen oversight board because that wasn't happening. Um, and then also um, giving uh, more money to our city attorney's office so they can do affirmative litigation instead of always being on the defense. So there's just a few things I've been doing in my first 72 days. <laughs> just a few things. So, so you know, I, I want to talk more about that because, you know, there's been a lot of talk around the country about, um, about policing um, and mm -hmm. what effective policing is. Um, the initiatives that you put forth how have they been received? Um, so I've been attacked by our GOP-controlled legislature um, for defunding the police. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the legislators who attack me don't live near St. Louis um, and, and have no idea the things that we're dealing with. Uh, primarily, you know, we have to look at crime holistically um, and take care of our people in a holistic manner. Like, what can we do to deploy the right professional to the right call? research done in St. Louis and one of our patrol districts uh, showed that up to 50% of calls can be answered by someone other than police. So we started a program called Cops and Clinicians, which deploys a, an officer along with a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, the, and the social worker is dressed in uh, casual clothes um, and they provide the right response um, uh, through our critical response unit. And uh, so far, their outcomes have been great. Uh, they have provided families, uh, connected them with the resources that they need when they call for help. Because when people call for 911, they're calling for help. Mm -hmm. They don't care what that help looks like, but we care what that help looks like. And so we have been able to uh, avoid people from uh, getting into the system. Um, uh, avoid arrests by, again, pairing people up with the resources that they need. And, and I guess, you know, we're still not at 100 days yet, but when you look back, let's say a year from now or two years from now, 
um, what do you hope to be able to report back to the voters about these new initiatives? So I hope to be able to report back to the voters that we have decreased crime significantly, uh, decreased homicides significantly, um, that, uh, that we have connected people to resources uh, when they call us at not call 911 operators. And we are also integrating more social workers into other city departments. Um, and so we're developing a map or an ecosystem of all of the resources that are available to enable our social workers to do their jobs as well. And also partnering with our flagship universities uh, as a training ground uh, for social workers who are going to enter city government. Um, I also hope to see uh, more development um, in areas of St. Louis that haven't been developed. Uh, in decades, uh, just like uh, development decisions in prosperous areas are intentional, development decisions not to go to non-prosperous areas are intentional. And so I am shifting the focus of our development decisions and providing more money for our affordable housing trust fund uh, to start to fund more projects. Um, I also hope to, to that they'll uh, see that we are taking care of our unhoused and the most vulnerable. Um, we are making a significant investment of almost $20 million from the American Recovery Act funds um, into taking care of our unhoused through a myriad of services like intentional encampments, uh, tiny homes, uh, tiny home, different types of tiny home projects, uh, as well as providing wraparound services. Um, and you know, that's the other thing that we've done in the first uh, 100 days is put together a direct relief package uh, to make of almost $80 million to, uh, from ARPA funds to invest in things that are gonna take care of people um, and take care of their health as well as take care of their safety. You know, it, it's funny listening to you, it sounds like what you're talking about sounds a lot like Washington, DC. Um, I, I live in a neighborhood in Anacostia um, that has a history of being overlooked, underfunded, uh, kind of ignored, where you see a lot of the, the prosperous development, as you would say, go to other parts of the city, um, whereas our part of the city is ignored. Like, so I, I'm sure, you know, there's some excitement about these new initiatives, and I'm sure there's some trepidation. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say the excitement um, is definitely coming from those of us who were in the office and can't wait to get started on some of these projects. Mm -hmm. um, I also hired a new director of, of our economic development arm who is focused on economic justice, who realizes that economic development is not just about bricks and mortar, mm -hmm. but it is also about financial justice and economic justice and how do we reduce the racial wealth gap uh, and the trepidation comes from the status quo. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, they see that we should throw more police at mm -hmm. them as a solution. But uh, any city that you look at that has hired more police, police don't prevent crime. They uh, people just move around mm -hmm. when they see them there. Uh, and so, you know, what we've done um, with our new public safety director is we don't announce where we're going. 
um, because if people know where we're going to be, then obviously they're going to move somewhere else. Right. Um, and we've uh, deployed our resources um, in a smart way. We're trying to be smart on crime rather than being tough on crime and leading with prevention instead of leading with the old, tired, and expensive arrest and incarcerate model that doesn't make anybody safe. Awesome. So in your first 72 days, has there been any pleasant surprises that you've uncovered? Hmm, the pleasant surprise, I would say, is the um, th that this is a whole production, right? All of the moving pieces that go on in the background um, of, of keeping the city running um, and all of the uh, um, yeah, just all of the moving pieces has been a, a pleasant surprise. I would also say a pleasant surprise is as I'm out at community events, the number of people who want to take pictures with me, like I'm so, <laughs> some sort of a celebrity. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just the mayor. I'm just here to do the work. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I have to throw this question in. Um, my understanding is that you went or graduated from the best university in the world, uh, the Hampton University. The Hampton University. Yes, and I, you know, get this. I get this question a lot. How did your HBCU experience prepare you to be mayor of St. Louis? Wow. So I, I owe it all to our home by the sea, um, because those four years um, uh, were a training ground where I was in direct competition with people who looked like me, had uh, professors who were rooting for me, who some who looked like me, some who didn't, um, and in an environment that was just so nurturing for my development. I, I grew up at Hampton um, and, and owe all of my success uh, to the training ground that I received when I was there. Um, and, and, you know, make, make no mistake, yes, it is an HBCU and, and you're with other people who look like you, but they also prepare you for, um, for dealing with, with, with the country the way it is, you know, um, to, to, uh, to confront the racism and the sexism that you receive. Um, so I just, I just felt like I graduated and I was ready to take on the world. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you are, so congratulations again. Uh, so Mayor Jones, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, at the end of our podcast, we always allow our guests uh, a moment to say a few words, some par parting shots. Is there anything you wanna leave our listeners with today? Uh, something I'd love to leave your listeners with is um, a leader is only as good as the team that she puts around her. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned um, as I prepared for this role. Uh, I was treasurer for eight years um, and really noticed that um, my team was, was the thing that kept the office together and kept things running and kept the trains running on time, right? And I find that in any part of life, in, in any time your team, the team that you put around you is the team that's gonna help you succeed no matter what you're doing, um, be that being a mayor, uh, even being a mom, because, you know, even you have to have your village together uh, in order to help you be successful. So uh, I would tell your listeners to pay attention to the team that you have around you and make sure that they are all, all, all aligned with your mission to succeed. Awesome. 
So we're going to be watching you closely from Washington, D.C. And if there's any uh, ever another time you want to come back on the, uh, the filibuster, you are always a welcome guest. We'd love to have you. Thank you. So yeah. nice to meet you. Yes, thank you so much. And great to meet you as well.